0: Welcome back to the Rooted In podcast. We are kicking off season five with an episode from Rita. She talks about the 12 lessons she's learned from the gym. Might seem like a rather unusual place to be learning about literacy, but she goes into the insights and benefits that can come from learning things in unexpected places. We hope you enjoy the beginning of this new season. Give us a like, a follow, a subscribe, and have fun listening. Hi, this is Rita. Today, I want to talk to you about 12 lessons from the gym. Now, this seems like a weird topic, but those of you who've been listening to um, my podcast and taking some of my classes know that a lot of times when we make uh, analogies for learning in a physical way, we can understand better how learning needs to happen. There are certain things that we kind of accept in terms of building our our physical health, that we can apply to how we learn and cognition. And today, I thought uh, it is now uh, end of August of 2022, and I thought this is an interesting topic for this time of year because everybody's getting ready to head back and think about how they're going to organize their weeks and. Um, I'd like to encourage uh, you to think about as you're um, setting goals for this year and thinking about how you want your learning week to go, what are some lessons that I've learned that maybe you have learned too um, in the physical realm, that really applies to the cognitive uh, realm of learning, literacy learning, in particular language learning in general. So I have twelve lessons, some of them you've heard before, some of them uh, maybe a little bit new or a little different spin. So bear with me. Number one. The number one lesson we know from the gym is don't wait. Don't wait. The sooner you get started, the better you're going to feel, right? The sooner you get going, the sooner you're going to get into shape. And waiting, as we all know, kind of becomes procrastination, uh, can become avoidance, and often is because we just don't know what to do. But one of the ways we figure out what to do is by getting started, working with people, doing the reading getting involved, figuring it out, getting help, right? It's the the waiting and worrying and, um, you know, strumming our fingers on the table. That doesn't really get us anywhere in terms of physical fitness, right? Well, the same is true for literacy. There's a thing that we've talked about before uh, that is a saying in literacy of the Matthew effect, and it's based on the scripture Um, about uh, where Jesus says the rich get richer and the poor get poor. And we know that in terms of literacy and reading and writing, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Those who read a lot gain even more skills in reading, especially in vocabulary growth and comprehension. Those who write a lot gain way more skills in writing, especially in terms of composition, organization, and grammar structure. So, the more we do, the more we grow. And, um, you know, I wish that I had been working out in the way I'm working out now. I wish I'd been doing it in my 20s, right? I mean, how much further along would I be had I started this in my 20s instead of my late 50s? I wish I hadn't stopped exercising when I started having some physical issues as a result of a car accident that made it hard for me. Um, so for about uh, eight an eight-year period, I kind of just kind of couldn't figure it out. I kept trying some things and I started to just give up. Now I'm not only catching up, but I'm in this phase of work- life that kind of works against me, right? I'm in this phase now in my early 60s Where if I don't keep working out, I'm actually losing strength and mobility and endurance and balance, right? Well, that is true for our kids as well in terms of language and literacy growth. We absolutely know that there are these periods in cognition where we are kind of the most malleable. That doesn't mean it's ever too late. Never, ever, 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 ever is it too late. But waiting is not really that helpful. Mostly what waiting does is it makes the gaps grow. Just like physically, I get increasingly weak. Waiting just means now the difference between my age level and great expectancies has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. So if you are just now getting on board and you're thinking, how am I going to do this? My child really doesn't like it. They're resisting, don't wait, don't wait any longer. Tell your friends, don't wait. You don't have to go at the rate everybody else is going, but you do need to get started. So lesson from the gym number two, I call this gentle, 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 apply, apply, apply. So by gentle, 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 this is when we talk about working to a level of success. We really don't want to throw everything at kids and have them feel overwhelmed. That's really not helpful. The gentle approach, a little bit at a time, working to a level where we know they can be successful, but then apply it. Don't wait until they have all their reading and writing skills to um, try to spell a few words. Don't wait until they have all their spelling and grammar skills. To write a few sentences, we always want to be inching up the skills and applying it and then moving to the next level. This is why we call it laying a path because we take tiny steps, but we keep moving down the path. So I realized that something like lifting weights, which quite honestly, I always thought was boring and hard. And I don't know. Um, uninviting and intimidating and all those things it mattered more when I realized hey you know what I can lift all these bags of groceries at one time you know what my left hand is getting to approach the strength of my right hand you know what I have a pretty good grip now you know what I can put baggage carry-on baggage overhead by myself without having to ask the person beside me to give me a hand and without worrying about it clunking on someone's head when I lose control. All the ways that I apply what I do in the gym helps me feel motivated to keep going. And this is true of our kids too, as they're learning. We don't say, hey, we're just doing this little thing here and someday we'll work on writing. Someday we'll work on spelling. Someday we'll work on um you know, making a paper because I'm trying to be super careful. Even in the midst of being gentle, 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 we apply, apply, apply. It's really one of the things that really helps motivation and helps cut down on the why am I doing this anyway, okay? Uh, Third lesson from the gym, work at intervals. You're less likely to hurt yourself and give up. It's so true. I can remember taking these group classes, group classes are mostly geared to what a teacher can do. And they're also geared toward some standard set out there by somebody, right? So in a group class, we might do five minutes of sit-ups or something. Well, I got to tell you what, I am going to fatigue and start compensating and using the wrong muscles after a minute. So is that good for me? No, that's not good for me. What's good for me is to work in intervals and and work so that I'm still doing good work within that short time period. And it also helps with variety. Who wants to do sit-ups for five minutes when you can do a round of sit-ups and then a round of pull-ups and then a round of bike, and then around all these things in 45 seconds to a minute intervals and then repeat, right? That kind of interval work works really nice in training and it works nice in our schooling with literacy as well. We can build a couple words. Now let's write a couple of these words. Let's do a sentence. Let's read a few of these sentences. Let's come back and use a few of these words and create our own sentences. Now let's read a paragraph. Okay, let's take a break and go do something right this working in intervals uh, really matters This goes to the next one. Lesson number four work until you can't Rest until you can this is something that uh, my trainer says to me all the time Work until you can't rest until you can and what that is is kind of a saying that has to do with weight training this idea that Rest and work are synergistic. You know, we work the more we rest ourselves, the harder we can work. And the more we work, the more we're going to need that rest. And so that can happen with our kids. I'll be like, you know what? I want you to spell these five words using all your good skills, saying sounds while you write, remembering the new rules we learned, using your sound lines, applying all your best skills. And then we'll stop at five. Okay. And then let's come back. Let's do three more. That's better than, hey, let's do 10 in a row. And the first five are okay. And the last five were kind of worthless because you actually stop saying your sounds as you write. So try to have this attitude with your kids. Work until you can't, then rest until you can again. Not... Work for a few minutes. Now I'm done for the day. I'm not going to do any more of this. Hey, I'm lucky if I get five minutes of work out of my kid every day. That's not the way we want to go about it. But we definitely appreciate that hard work needs rest and that good rest builds into hard work. I have a better workout in the gym if I slept well. There's rest, right? <clears throat> so working on my bedtime, things like that. All that can really matter in our schooling okay lesson number five strength balance and conditioning in equal measure i once asked my coach hey what's more important strength balance or conditioning if i only have time for one thing which one should i focus on and he was like uh all three (laughs) thought that was kind of interesting answer he's like think of that as a triangle we always want strength balance and conditioning So strength in terms of literacy is building into this foundation, this core training, these discrete skills of reading, writing, spelling, okay? Balance is when we practice these in combination, but balance needs control, right? We need some controls to obtain balance. So if I'm just like throwing things around, that's not balance. If I have to really go slowly and steady and really think about using all my best skills, that's when I get the right balance. I'm using all my skills together, right? And we work on that a lot with our intentional copywork and intentional dictation and intentional editing. We really want kids and good handwriting skills, right? But we use those handwriting skills in, in intentional copywork and dictation. We want to have this work on balance. And then conditioning is the go for it, the projects. Let's apply this, let's do something really good with these new skills we have. You know, let's make this poster, let's apply it to our science. Um, Map that we're making of some science concept, okay? That really go for it is the conditioning. That's the stuff that makes you feel like you're really a rock star. But we can't get there without the strength or the balance, right? So we have to always be working on all three. So, lesson number six have short sessions over many days. Four is a minimal, six is better. So, think about this. So many of my students and people I talk to between co-ops and outside classes and sports and weekends, they may actually only work three days a week. The kind of work you get, the kind of strength and endurance that you build up when you have shorter sessions over many days instead of a bunch of days off and then one big workout once a week. Right. We know that physically it makes a difference if we had 20 minute workouts, six days a week, than one hour and a half workout once a week. You read it everywhere. Well, this is true about all of learning, all of learning. So maybe on a Saturday, you don't want it to look quite the same that it does during the week. Do something. Help make that grocery list. Help read that grocery list and check it off. Um, have a list of your Saturday jobs that you have to write down everything you did. I mean, apply it somehow, or have read aloud time. And maybe you help me read a few paragraphs out of that read aloud time. Whatever it is you're doing, um, however, you want to make it more of a life skill on a weekend, we still need to recruit weekends and we can't let our co op days. Um, rob of these important short sessions that we need to check in every day to keep skills strong. Lesson from the gym number seven, a little more, a little better. This is um, actually a quote I wanted to look it up and I can't remember what the exact quote is, but this is the way my coach kind of paraphrases it, that he would tell me when I'd be discouraged, hey, a little more, a little better, a little more, a little better. I kept focusing on what what I couldn't do, that big thing I couldn't do, right? And he kept having me refocus on what I'm doing that's that little bit more than I used to do yesterday. And this really helped me not get depressed And, um, you know, when I felt like, oh, I'm so weak, I'm so unbalanced, I'm so uncoordinated. Why am I so breathless? I fatigue so fast, like it's really easy to get into the absolute wrong mindset when you struggle. And if you have any kind of weakness yourself. Um, if you, if this is an area that's hard for you physically, if you're trying to do something that's hard, you know, how easy it is to have that self-talk really drag you down. So this little, uh, phrase a little more, a little better. I used to tell myself all the time and you can't measure day to day today. I'm a little under the weather. I'm not going to be as good as I was you know, two weeks ago when I felt great and I hadn't been traveling last week, okay? And hurt my back or whatever. You know, I've got to measure overall what's my little more, little better. And a bad day, don't let it stand in the way it's just a bad day, move on, okay? Number eight, progress over perfection. This feels like it's kind of the same thing, but this has to do with um, setting up habits and goals, Stephen Guys, I think is how you say his name, wrote a book called Mini Habits. And here is his quote Be the person with embarrassing goals and impressive results instead of one of many people with impressive goals and embarrassing results. I think this one all the time little goals with impressive results. It is still that kind of same idea of a little more, a little better. But this is really about, hey, better for me to get out and go for a slow walk than to be on the couch all day. You know, that little unimpressive goal compared to the person who's going for the five mile run, you know, who's working toward marathons. But that unimpressive goal, embarrassing goal, really over time if you have good results, are better than, hey, I used to swim a half mile three times a week. Yeah, I don't do that anymore. Well, if I'm going to get back in the pool, I'm probably not going to start out at a half mile. I might say to myself, I'm just going to swim for 10 minutes and I'm going to try to do that two days a week. And then pretty soon, I'm back to where I was. But if I don't set these embarrassingly small goals, And ones that I actually will get the result, then I'm really just stuck. So I like that idea, progress over perfection. I add it to how many glasses of water I drink a day. Um, I think about, you know, whether I'm changing my eating habits. I think about whether I get off the couch. Am I stretching? Um, You know, am I reading higher level material versus fluff? literature all the time. Just an embarrassing goal. I'm going to read this really heavy duty thing for 10 minutes is better than it sitting there and me just looking at it and avoiding it. Right. Okay. Number nine, nobody likes pain. We all avoid what's hard. Picture this physically, whatever it is you would not want to do. Think about how you would say no way. No, I'm just not doing that. Right. That's what our struggling learners are doing with us. And a lot of the way we approach this um, can help with the things I've been talking about prior. But I think it's really important to remember that um, in order for us to have empathy. That doesn't mean we're still not going to be the coach. I mean, my coach used to go, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, mm, I get it. That hurts. Okay, let's get started. You know, and I think, okay, are you really listening to me? But then he would. He would adjust things. He was listening, but we still did it. So being empathetic and being um, held emotionally hostage, those are two different things. And so we want to remember, nobody likes pain. I don't like it either. I get it. How can we move beyond this? That's what we're going for. Okay, number 10. This kind of leads to this idea of supporting self-esteem. It's very interesting, you know, the way life has changed, uh, from the perspective of someone who's now a grandma, (laughs) um, you know, I grew up in a world that's very different than this world. And I raised my children in a very different way. And it's interesting, the books that my mother read about parenting versus the books I read about parenting versus the books My kids are reading about parenting. There is so much more emphasis on self-esteem. And I don't know that that's all a bad thing, but I think that we have some um, assumptions about self-esteem that I think really need to be tested. So for example, when I was young, they started giving out um, participation trophies. Not like they did with my kids, but it was just getting started. It only happened to me in softball. So I think if anyone who's been listening to me knows, I'm no great athlete. And by the time I was in seventh grade, it was pretty clear that just being willing to try hard wasn't going to be enough that you would actually get to play. And I was on a softball team and I was no great shakes. And we happened to have a coach that year who um, only ever wanted to play the stars. I mean, first string all the way. It was all about winning. It was all about building up a team, whatever, whatever. I never played, never played, never played, never played. And she kept saying, you'll get to play at the last game. Well, the last game I was going to be out of town. So I wasn't at the last game. And so the whole thing was anyone sitting on the bench will get to play in the last game. So the last game came and went, I didn't get to be there. I never played. So we have our picnic and we're all standing in line and she hands me my trophy and I handed it back. And I was like, you know what? I never played. I never played in one game. And she was like, well, you weren't there. And I was like, well, yeah, that's true. But you knew that. (laughs) So, I don't want this. This means nothing to me. And then, you know, another coach felt bad, blah, blah, blah. Well, what do you think my self-esteem felt like getting that trophy? Like that's what I think the challenge is. And actually it's interesting. One of my students did a research project on this. And so we were reading some of the studies about do these consolation trophies, participation trophies, they're called, you know, do they have a positive effect or a negative effect? And Basically, what they're finding is that actually that kind of thing can make kids feel worse about themselves, not better about themselves. You know, we all know who's first string. We all know who's sitting on the bench. It's really not going to make a big difference if you try to make me feel better. What makes me feel better is getting in the game, making some progress, doing the work, being included. Right. So as long as I'm outside of kids that can read and write, no matter how much my mom and dad tell me I'm a great person, no matter how good I am at whatever my other interests are, I still know when I'm sitting on the bench. What makes me feel better is figuring out how to get me off that bench. That's what makes me feel better. And so um, as we think about how we're going to support our kids' self-esteem when they're struggling learners, part of what we do is teach. That's part of the way we help their self-esteem. And so I think I see that. I see that in the gym. I am still not a rock star in the gym, but I'm doing a lot more than I did before. And the way I feel about myself is very, very different. You know, I might only be glad that I'm lifting groceries more and I'm still not running a marathon, but it doesn't matter. I am actually feeling better about myself because I'm no longer sitting on the bench. And that's what really, we really know from the gym. Okay. Lesson 11, tackle the real problem. So I think about this in terms of exercise, because, you know, I would like, always look for the cute clothes that might make me feel better. In fact, I remember reading this article about how many pairs of black pants most women own, that most of us are in like this pursuit of the black pants that are gonna make us look great, right? Well, what would actually make us look great? Um, You know, various things that may be our problems, right? Like whatever my body problem is, or your body problem is, or our perceived body problem, even if it's not real, it's just what we think. Unless we actually deal with that specific thing, nothing we do is going to, all the pants and clothes and cool makeup and new hairdos in the world aren't going to make up for that, right? Right? That's kind of what the gym teaches us. We feel a little better about ourselves when we're strong, even if we still maybe could lose 10 pounds or whatever, right? Right. Um, And I found myself doing this, you know, with my son in trying to find the book he would read, right? What kind of book really will interest him? Well, there was the book that will interest him. And then there was the, you know what, if you can't pick a book, I'm going to pick a book for you, but you're still going to read 20 minutes a day. You know, you're still going to read aloud to me. And if this book doesn't interest you, I'm really Sorry but it's the reading aloud that gets you there, right? It's the reading practice that gets you there. It's not going to be, hey, how about this book? This book's about this, this book's about that. Now we all have our certain types of books that make reading easier, that make reading more fun. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that you gotta tackle what the real problem is and we're kind of back to a little more, a little better, do it in intervals, do it more often, blah, blah, blah. All these other things we talked about, just remember, This is the real problem. This is what we're really working on. So just finding all the right bells and whistles isn't going to hide that, isn't going to make it better. Okay, last one, 12 lessons from the gym. Okay, just as exercise is a quality of life issue, literacy is a quality of life issue. I keep saying exercise right now for me is my retirement investment. I'm spending a little money on it with a trainer. And I keep saying, well, I'm investing in my retirement. I'm doing it many ways. This is one of them, right? Well, that same kind of investment is the same thing we're making when we're really building into kids' literacy skills. When we make sure they're not just reading, but they're learning how to write also. We're growing their independence, their vocabulary, Their chances of more personal, private entertainment that isn't just sitting in front of a device, which I know some device stuff is fun, but you know, really, is that the only limit that we want in our life? Um, We build up world knowledge. People are looking into whether this helps build empathy and understanding. We're we're building our verbal reasoning skills. We have more options for careers and volunteer. There's so much about quality of life when we really invest in our kids' literacy. I think most of us know our kids need to do some exercise, right, in order to be healthy. Well, actually, to grow the brain, we need literacy skills. And even if you have a struggling learner, even if the amount of literacy skills they gain over the course of their educational life is going to be less than their peers, you are still building into the quality of their life. This kind of loops back around to don't wait because the gap can, can reduce that. Um, but even if there's a gap already, just get going. We're really building into quality of life the same way exercise does, right? And uh, there is a researcher named Keith Stanovich, and there is a YouTube out there called the Matthew Effect. And we'll try to make sure we get a link to this, but you can just put in Matthew Effect, does reading make you smarter? And Keith Stanovich is about five minutes long and he talks about his research about how literacy really builds these certain cognitive skills. It is a quality of life issue, just like going to the gym. So hope you enjoyed that. Hope that's your good little pep talk for today and uh, I'm gonna go for a walk. I'm not feeling good today, but I'm gonna go for a walk anyway. Okay, take care. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please give us a like, subscribe, and follow our podcast, blogs, and YouTube channel. Check out our website at rootedinlanguage.com Join our Rooted community on Facebook, where you can ask questions and join in discussion with like-minded home educators. This is Rita Sabasco from Rooted in Language. Have a good day.